Conversations, interviews, rants, and discussions about society, technology, food, art, culture, games, music, education, business, community building and marketing, communications, board games, old science, new cars, body piercing, body painting, competitive eaters, zombies and vampires, and more. You're listening to Talking About Everything with Harry Hawk. So what you're trying to do is evoke curiosity. I said, yes, that would be a big part of it. We once imagined that the projects themselves would come to students as packages. Hello, this is Harry Hawk, and this is Talking About Everything. And today we're talking with a couple of folks from College for America. We're speaking with Yvonne Simon, who is the Chief Learning Architect. And we're speaking also to Deo Wano. Uh, Deo is a learning coach. He actually works with the students uh, often one-on-one. And uh, I'm really thrilled that they're taking the time out of their incredibly busy schedule uh, to speak with me. We're going to talk to them about education and, and very specifically about the competency-based education that's offered at College for America. Uh, College for America, uh, we'll get into it, but it's an offshoot of Southern New Hampshire University. Yvonne, for the folks listening, can you define competency-based education for a moment? Sure. There are many versions of competency-based education springing up, as you know. And in our particular case, what we're focused on is what students can do with what they know. So that sounds like a very simple concept, but it's one that we really believe is at the heart of our program. And we define everything that students do and the work that they're trying to demonstrate their competencies through um, around those competencies. So, for example, our associate's degree in general studies has 120 competencies, and students do projects, and then they submit them for review, and based on reviewer feedback, they move towards mastery, and a student graduates when they've mastered all 120 competencies. I think about general learning, I think about testing, and Mm -hmm. I think about the meta opportunity to learn about learning or think about learning. Can competency-based education foster all of those, or is there, you know, a twist to it? It's great that you said that because that's the part that often takes a while to, um, when we're discussing our particular program, to get people to really understand. But that's the other side of it. And in particular, that's what our learning coaches do with our students. They help our learning coaches help our students engage in a learning process. So one of the things we thought about uh, intently when we designed the program is that we we wanted really to have... Um, roles and feedback to student that was going to be most intentional and help them not only gain learning process, but gain mastery. And to do that, we really had to unbundle the traditional instructor roles. So um, as you may know, we don't have traditional instructors, but we do have subject matter experts who create the projects and the rubrics. We have reviewers who uh, review student work and based on the rubric, give them feedback. And it's very targeted and timely. So students are actually getting really specific comments on the work that they're submitting and have next steps in terms of what they need to do to move towards mastery. And then the coach role is focused on some of the things that I think you and I both really um, appreciate and hope 
education grabs hold of as kind of core principles, how do we get students engaged in their own learning process? And we think that some of the key factors in that have to be um, around where the student is now. So that's why we say it's a very personalized approach and that our coaches are working with students based on where where he or she comes into the program, really wanting to understand what that student comes to College to America with, what they want to learn, how they've gone about their learning, and how can we make sure that they have removed barriers, first of all, but then how can we really help them get a learning process in place that will really serve them, not only through College for America, but beyond, and in their um, employer environment as well. I'm definitely going to talk or ask you a little bit later about that employer role, but I had another sort of learning question, which, and, and I don't know how current or outdated or whatever, but, you know, from my own background, I think of uh, sort of Piaget, a Papert mm-hmm. model of uh, sure. learning, uh, no right or wrong, teachers facilitate and try to get out of the way. And then the report out of uh, Ethiopia in 2012, where the one uh, laptop um, group left a, a, a boxed tablet or a laptop in mm. a small remote village. And within a few days, the students had, who were really not students at all, but just uneducated kids from the village had learned some basic literacy and within five months had been able to make a small hack to Android to actually turn on the video camera, which had been disabled. Um, and that kind of open meandering kind of self-driven educational path, it does competency-based education allow for that? Or, I mean, are they uh, fighting with each other or supportive? Mm. Yeah, I love those questions. I think, you know, we, we've kind of split the difference, I think, in terms of this this particular program. But I personally believe people, to your great example, um, can learn anything anywhere. However, there there are some um, things to consider in evaluating whether that will happen or not. So um, in our particular case, just to touch on the employers for now, we really did build a program that we wanted to be relevant to employers and the jobs that are available because we felt that that was an important component. So... I'd say that our students are definitely understanding the material and learning the material in a different way than they would in a traditional classroom, certainly, and even in an online program. That being said, they are gaining competencies that will serve them in their current employer with a future employer, and that was a very important dimension. So just going back to the process, there still has to be that, uh, you know, someone said to me recently, so what you're trying to do is evoke curiosity. I said, yes, that would be a big part of it. Because even though sometimes our students come to the program, they know they want the degree. They know they want an, a better opportunity with their employer. Um, they're very eager to learn, but they're not necessarily sure how learning, based on how they've experienced it to date, maps to their personal values. And so one of the things that we help students understand is that it, it's a core, learning is core to being a human being. And um, no matter what your values are, our coaches can usually find ways of helping students understand how this how this learning maps to their own values, um, whether it's their their interest in um, becoming a more engaged citizen, whether it's their interest in becoming 
a better person, whether they really value being a good worker. I mean, all of those things tie to engagement and learning at its core. So I'll stop there just to see if I kind of on the right track in terms of answering your question. Oh, absolutely. And you're very much getting, uh, or rather I should say, helping me understand what it is that you're doing. Because again, at the abstract, it's sort of that box in Ethiopia. It's all packed up and I'm not exactly sure what's inside of it, but I'm inspired because, wow, there's a brand new box to explore. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because my Kate Kays and I work very closely with her. She's our chief academic officer. And we, we once imagined that the projects themselves would come to students as packages, you know, that they would, you know, unopen and unbundle and they would, um, you know, see the resources that are there, see the skill resources, you know, look at the competencies. And, you know, that's, that was kind of the, the image of, you know, how do we engage students, you know, at their values? How do we help them understand how these particular competencies that they're going to demonstrate and master in this project are relevant to them? So that's another big piece is sometimes having to make that bridge because you not you might not always know why I have to do that. We really think that that's an important piece. If students can find connection to the work and relevance in it, and sometimes it is because I know that my employer believes that teamwork is a really important aspect of my job. So you have to get and get over that hump, if you will. And then hopefully on the other side, it's when the student, um, him or herself really understands the, the importance. And then, you know, from there, the process well, goes many different ways. Yeah. So, well, so, let me, so you, you brought up teamwork, which is a question that I want to have put a little context around. Sure. Uh, I heard a talk last fall from uh, Kathy Ann Davidson, who is the distinguished professor at uh, CUNY uh, at the Future of Ed initiative there. And she went into great detail about how our current educational system is based on standards that were set between 1665 and the early 1920s, basically designed to create factory workers and middle managers. And right. she spoke about the need for today's education to be far more collaborative, foster creativity, foster problem solving. And so I, I really had that specific question. Can competency-based education, based on how you've architected, is it a throwback to this model or is it something that is indeed fostering teamwork and collaboration and all of those sorts of things, the, the things that we need for the 21st century worker? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this one specifically because we think a lot about developing the in individuals I've just touched on. And then the other side of that is really in context. You know, how do we as individuals align with a particular team, an employer, an organization, a field, uh, my community? All of those things are very important. And um, as as my team and I discuss often, it's it's a little bit of a paradox, right? How can I be the best individual I can be and also be part of this team? And that's, um, that's I think, a challenge. You know, so we very intentionally architected around that particular piece. We have several team projects. Fantastic. And yes, yes. So right in the program itself, um, we start off with um, one to sort of get everybody up and going, get their feet wet in the idea of giving feedback to another individual, receiving feedback from another individual individual. And um, then we move into some more complex team projects. Are we talking about just peer review and that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, that's not a core component at this point. 
But we also, in, in addition to having the specific projects, we also have a community. And this is, um, I would say, as big a support component as the coaching role or the reviewer role. If a stool has three legs, in this case, that would certainly be one of the legs. One of the, the foundations or pillars of the program is students' ability to reach out into the community and um, whether they're getting, it's not a formal peer review in our case, but whether they're getting feedback, whether they're getting encouragement, whether they're forming a study group or just saying, hey, how's it going for you? Um, incredibly important part. In fact, we actually have data now that that, that speaks to that. The students who do join the community um, have two to three times the persistence that our other, other students do. So it's still an opt-in. Um, so we're, we're actually trying to figure out how do we get all of our students in and engaged because we know it's such an important component of the program. Well, community building is uh, one of my areas of expertise, but I'm not going to bore you with the my pontification there, but well, I'd love um, to hear it some other time. It would be really thrilling. I would love to hear it. But the, I wanted to ask then: um, Is there? This is going to be really nerdy, but <laughs> in communication, in traditional computer communication, there's connection and connectionless. And in a, a connectionless mm. uh, system, the response is you know not required in terms of you know this highly synchronous i send a message you send it back in a connectionless mm -hmm. kind of environment i can send messages and you can send yours and they sometimes overlap and sometimes they don't in these projects because i understand a lot of what you do is self-paced mm -hmm. is there some connectionless aspect um or do two students who are on a project need to learn that sync, learn how to sync up and actually right. work together? Yes. So on the on the the two two they, students will at least do three team projects during their associate's degree, and they do have to sync up, and they do have to submit the work together, and they do have to coordinate um, the group and the work. Um, and then on the other side, it is self-paced, but I think one of the things that the coach does, and Dare, I'm sure we'll speak to this um, a little bit later, is that we, the coach actually helps the student to build their learning network. So that's a core part of the coaching model is that even if you're working on a project and you're, it's a, an individual project, you still want to be in, in contact and reaching out and forming relationships. So to give a good example, one of our goals, one of our projects equal to sort of a course, if you will, is called Establishing a Professional Presence. And in this goal, students are really active. They get on LinkedIn. A lot of our students have never done that before. They start understanding an interview process. They work on building some connections and starting to understand our very networked world and how that works. So we've built this idea into many aspects of the program. And if I could, I'd just like to comment on what you said about, um, you know, what I call sort of feedback loops. Yeah. Um, in some ways, the whole entire system is based on feedback loops. So often what I'll say to the coaches, I said, you know, I think this is a loop. We got to we got to tighten this one up. So um, so, for example, students might get a not yet on a project. And for some students, the reaction is, oh, OK, so I m missed a few criteria. I'm going to move on to the next project. And the coach will then have to coach them into the model and say, in this model, you actually have to master all of the criteria before you can move on. So that's a little different, right? Uh, yep. You can't just take your B or your C and go ahead. And um, 
So the next part then is really helping the student deal with the feedback because we have students actually get a lot of personalized feedback on a paper. I mean, we've all had the paper that comes back with the check or the A or the B or whatever, but not really knowing what we did wrong or how we could improve, let's say it that way. That sounds much better. Um, or, or how or, we or could. What was really amazing. Yeah, exactly. So we, the reviewers, do that with every student submission. They look and say, okay, this is where you hit the mark. This is what you might want to work on, and this is how you can do it. So that's a very important part of that formula. And students get that feedback within 24 to 48 hours. So they're in the game. That's our, you know, I call that our little piece of gamification right there. So, you know, you put something in, you're so eager. And I remember high school, it didn't matter when, but, you know, you put something in and like, it seemed like months later, you got it back. You couldn't even remember, you know, what what you were writing about or what you were nervous about or what was going on. But our students really get this. And I've seen students actually have their phones out waiting to get their feedback. You know, they really get into that part of it, which to me is a huge leap forward in terms of focusing on learning and being eager and interested in your learning and what someone's going to say about your work. Um, and then on the coaching side, there's a lot of that too. So let's say I get a not yet, but I don't understand the feedback. I don't know. And I don't know. I've never gone to a to an instructor and yeah. asked them a question before, and I don't know what to say. And so that's where the coach will reach out and say, oh, you know, saw that you got that not yet. We have a t-shirt that we'd like to design called not yet and loving it. You know, mm-hmm. we want to really nor- normalize the struggle for students around that and say like, this is part of the process and let, let's dig in. And, and well, that is learning, right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's the learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Dale will have a lot. Dale has story upon story about about that very thing. So uh, that'll probably be a and great. I, Dale, I promise we're going to get to you. I have just a few more kind of questions just to really make sure that I'm absor- absorbing all of this. But uh, uh, Yvonne, please continue. Yeah. So it's it, a lot of it is figuring out, and this is where the technology does come in, and this is one of the ways that we think we're going to be able to scale this program to as many students who want and need um, and are interested in this education is because the technology really gives us the ability to see when a student needs help and outreach. You know, is it sometimes it might be better for an ambassador. We have um, another role in our community. Um, These are folks that have maybe moved through the program and are interested in, in service and interested in helping other students succeed because um, we all know that sometimes I like this example that if you're learning to sew and your task is to sew the button on, you might not want to go, you know, discuss this with the master tailor. You might just want to have a have a chat with someone who just learned to sew a button on. Right. Yep. So the ambassadors are out there for students and available to them. And, you know, what we try to see from from the data we have is making sure that students have continuous quality engagement. And so that that feedback loop is it feels comfortable and it's according to the students' preferences. We have to also respect their very complex lives and all the other things. But at the same time, we don't like to see people hanging out there for too long because, you know, maybe the program isn't alive for them anymore. And what can we do as coaches, ambassadors, you know, maybe it's somebody in the community reaching out and say, hey, you know, are you, are you working on a project that you're struggling with or something just come up at, at, at home that you maybe, you know, you need to figure out your babysitting, you know? So we really say we bring college to where you live and work. And we're really trying to 
help people, students understand that this can be a part of their life. You don't have to go off to the campus to have a really rich and meaningful experience. You can you can integrate this into your world. You can meet new people. You can have new experiences. Um, and, you know, setting up the data and the system and the structure. And it's in some ways blended because it's not all online. A lot of our students get together offline. But that's really going back huh. to that architecture piece that we so, want so, students so to talk to feel me about like the it's blended, all together. Yeah. Talk to me about the blended part then because, um, and we should make this clear right now, the students coming into the program come in through a specific employer. Are then Correct. they getting back together in the in the in in person part? Are they meeting up with their coworkers? Yeah, yeah we've seen this um, take many different forms. That there are some who do get together with colleagues. You know, maybe they someone over in the next cube is is also doing College for America, so they might chat early morning. You know, oh, I'm working on this. You're working on that. Um, and it might just be as casual as that. Then we have folks that actually set up study groups, sometimes lunch, after work. Um, we have groups that do kind of a CFA version of a meetup where I'm really interested in seeing those as we get more and more students. Um, and it makes more sense to see if those can, can be, be happening everywhere. Um, and sometimes it's just, we have a husband and wife team, for instance, <laughs> you know, we, we, we really have it all. There's so many really interesting different kinds of, um, ways that students connect, which I think is great because that's a, that adds so much support and that's something beyond what a coach can do or what a reviewer can do. Um, and it, and it helps, uh, a lot with the persistence too. We really find that the students who can make that kind of connection, they might also be in the online community, but just having a place to show up weekly or even on a semi-regular basis um, can add a lot of support and a lot of dimension to the program. So then I want to ask you just a, a couple more, you know, basic background questions. And one of them is, you know, I see kind of three broad kinds of education. There's kind of remedial, learning something that you need to know, credentialing, mm -hmm. proving something that you already know by some objective standards, and obviously learning a new skill. Mm -hmm. I was recently talking to a colleague who is teaching some basic hospitality mathematics to some students, yeah. you know, how to cost out the cost of something, you know, how much does it cost per dish? And some of his students were basically, from his perspective, struggling with like third or fourth grade math. And obviously, we know that students coming into community colleges, coming into other colleges may, for, whether it's a dyspraxia or, or, or simply a failure of their prior education, need some kind of remedial um, learning. Can competency-based education help in that regard? Or is that still certain things need to be a prerequisite? Sure. So um, I'll bring Kate, our chief academic officer, into this conversation as well. Um, as you may know as well, the you know the data what what's shown is that so many students who go through remedial courses, which is different from a professor pulling a student aside and saying, "Hey, let's work on fractions, um, exactly. get that right." But it's not so good. In fact, it's a really an area where we're, we're struggling and we don't really have a good solution. So right from the beginning, we wanted to provide additional resources. We call them skill resources for students who might not have all the fundamentals for, in a particular project. They just don't have those skills yet. And so there's, we've had partial success with that. So what a student can do is they can look at the competencies they're going to master. They can look at the project resources. So those are the essential resources that everyone will need. And then they'll kind of say, ah, 
wow, I don't know how to use Excel. I better check out that Excel skill resource to really figure that out. And from there, they're kind of left on their own. They can go to their coach. These are learning coaches. Our coaches are definitely credentialed and qualified to help students with resource use and how to how to do that. Um, and I think that gets at, I would say, 80% of the, the cases. Um, we do still have some that may even need to go, you know, even layer, layer deeper, if you will, um, to get at what's, what's wrong or what concepts are missing. And, um, we did just win a grant. Um, its nickname is Juice. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I, I this think is it's the first, 3.5 million grant. Yeah, the 4 million. Yeah. 4 million. First in the world grant, right? I'm looking at Lene. Yep. Yeah. So, that's one that we're really going to build another layer, if you will. So, but it's not something you have to do first. It's something you can do again, timely, timely and targeted. So it so emerges. Really, yeah, exactly. So that you're not held back. You're not, and it's in context too. So you really understand why you need to learn this particular skill. And the other thing that I think is really important is that, especially because most of our students are adult learners, their gaps are are all different. Like it's not everybody who has the problem with the fraction. It's not everybody, you know, we, we really think that we wouldn't want to put them all in the same class because really to get at those specific needs and those specific skills, we have to handle it still on a personal basis. With somebody who's an adult who hasn't completed higher education, presumably they've completed college or GED. They have some educational uh, achievement, but they may have some undiagnosed learning disability, some particular dyspraxia, something. Sure. Do, are you able to identify that at all? Are you able to suggest accommodations or accommodate accommodations? Yeah. We, we handle this according to SNHU's overall policy. So we, we don't, we're not in the business of diagnosing, but if a student does self-identify, we can provide them with resources. All right. So then let's, let's really dive into this and try to bring Deo in here. But right. my, my last uh, question here is, so there's 120 competencies. Um, are some of these really discrete or are, is there a path where some smaller scale skills lead to more emergent outcomes where they demonstrate really complex dynamic skills? And mm. can the students kind of pick the order or is there a larger pool of skills or is it exactly 120 skills? Yeah, I'm going to answer that for the AA because as we've developed um, sure. you know, BA and um, then co- various concentrations as well, there's some subtleties um, based on your question. But just for the AA, um, students go through pa- projects, as we mentioned earlier. So they may do as many, on average, our graduates are doing about 40 projects. And some of them are smaller size, less complex. And then we have um, our more complex projects. Projects that if you do one of those um, purple path projects, we call them, you will the student will master six competencies. So, so that, you can decide the, si- the size yeah. of the educational meal that you're going <laughs> to Exactly. And, and that was based on a concept that we know that if, if students have the next right size challenge, they're, they're going to be likely to succeed with the right feedback. Right. Um, and so we do make it a requirement to do three of the bigger meteor projects, but a lot of our students move through the program. And actually one of the things we found out is that they're able to integrate CFA into their life because they can kind of bite off, if you will, that smaller meal, have that little snack, get that done. And what I love about it is that it starts building habit because sometimes you look at these big assignments and, oh my gosh, like it's just daunting. And so one of the 
little architecture, architectural pieces, if you will, was to say, okay, let's let students, especially in areas where they might not have a lot of experience, let's let them kind of ease their way into it and do those smaller projects first, those who have maybe one or two competencies. And is there an option or a cap, kind of a capstone project at all? In the BA, there is a capstone, not but not in the AA. But they do have to do three of the... Um, the bigger, the, the bigger the projects, which, which do be, yeah, the purples, exactly. So, but those, and those do become, um, they're not capstones, but they are, you know, more integrative. You know, you've got to really put a lot of pieces together and there's more of, you know, the student putting their, his or her own voice into it as well. Um, and I then the past, yeah. Does purple stand for something or? It's just, uh... <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, no, we have blue and purple path projects. The blue is the, the smaller, less complex and purple is the more complex in the BA, we have gold projects. So, yeah, you know, you have to come up with these when things don't exist out in the the rest of the world, you have to come up with these names. And sometimes we just had to go with with the, something that made sense to us, at least, and uh, work for our students, of course. So I think we started with um, le- tasks That's and levels, levels. And that just ugh, that was not right at all. So even though purple and blue might not really mean mean much, at least we don't seem to be stumbling over it and students do get it. Um, if you work with a major naming company, you know, uh, <laughs> like your, a Landor Associates, or whatever, they'll tell you that, you know, names take on whatever meaning ultimately you want them to have. So it's okay to start with a, a fairly blank slate. Yeah, that's good news for us then, right? <laughs> so I, wa- I wanted to switch the focus, obviously, to Deo. I, again, I appreciate you waiting and sort of listening to all of that. And uh, Deo, so uh, can you talk to me a little bit about the intake Meaning I'm a new student. I've signed up through my employer. Um, so it's like day one. How do we connect and, and what are you going to communicate to me and how are we going to work together for the first couple of weeks? Yeah. So we put a lot of intention around the first the first, essentially, we call it the welcome call. So that's when a student's done everything and we're ready to go. We're ready to start. And that's like the first time the student actually gets to talk to the coach. So we put a lot of intention on just getting to know the student um, and understanding why joining the program is important for them. Um, what is receiving a college degree represents to them? Uh, what are some of the supports that they, they have around them? You know, that's going to help them to be able to excel in the program. And then from that point on, um, so that kind of happens prior to the student starting. And then the stu- once the student starts, um, they have an orientation that they go through and, you know, they're acclimating to the technology and the different moving parts of the program. Um, that's all then, online, though? That's all, yep. that's an online orientation? Yep, it's an online orientation. Yeah, everything is happening online. And even the calls are obviously done through phone calls and um, and once that's done, once the students start, we connect with them within the first week as well, once they're actually in the platform. And that's when, you know, a lot, a lot of the excitement that they're actually in, they're looking at the projects, they have a lot of questions. And um, for the coaches is really trying to understand the experience, what's happening within those first couple of days when they're in the program. And, and then outside of that is really allowing them to identify the resources that they have in, in the program, but also the resources that they might have around their own community or their own environment that they can utilize um, so they can continue to move forward in the program. 
So that's usually what happens within the first, you know, the first, the first couple of weeks when the, when the student starts. Okay. And so when I think of coaching, right, there's the, the motivational speech in the locker room, we're going to get out there and win. And then there's, you know, T-ball where you're teaching someone literally how to stand, how to swing, where to look. Are, are you combining all of that? I assume it's needs based. You see what somebody needs and you're adapting to their specific coaching need. Yeah, our coaching model is very unique because it, it focuses on the student, um, obviously within the framework of the program, but it really focuses on the student because the program is customized and personalized. So they're deciding how they're going to tackle this. Um, so as we build the relationship with the students, there, there's there's different things that we focus on that will allow us, that will inform us how to actually work with them. Um, and it's different from one student to another. Some students, as you know, as we're building that accountability and the alliance, some of the students are, you know, I want you to treat, I want you to treat me this way. You know, if I, if you feel like, you know, I, I haven't done this or I haven't done that, I want you to treat me this way. So we, we designed that alliance. So um, for some students, they, they, they might like that stronger push like hey you know you've been doing this what's going on and then for some students they, they, they might want an easy tone um, but it is very personalized and the unique part of it is that um, the students they feel they feel that someone on the other side care about them not just for the sake of being in the program but just care about them as an individual and we find that to be one of the most important part of our work because there are other parts of their life that actually contributes to their success in the program. Um, so the more they build that trust, the more they open up about other stuff that's happening that's holding them back. And the most interesting part is sometimes the root of their challenge has nothing to do with the actual learning. So they can identify that, oh, wow, this is what actually caused me to feel this way about this particular thing. And for us, that allows us to say, okay, you know what? We have resources for this or check out this or check out that. Um, but it solely comes from the students. So the more they open up, the more they give us, the more we give them, we give it right back to them for them to pick and choose what they think is going to work best. So it sounds almost uh, sort of social work light. I mean, that you're really trying to, to help them understand themselves and how they fit into the world. What happens? I imagine everybody starts off, you know, very eager and obviously you're tracking, you can see who's completing stuff. Can you talk about the difference between someone who's just moving forward and, and really maintaining momentum? And can you talk about where you might see somebody who's losing momentum? Maybe they tried a too complex a project. You know, how do they pick which projects to do and how do you help them? I'd really like to understand all about that. Yeah. So for, for our students, because it's personalized, um, some of the students, depending on the project, they might already have, you know, the skills and competencies to actually move through that project. So for those students, you know, we're kind of we're working closer, but they're they're moving a little bit faster. So they're more independent. Um, and then for some students, depending on the project, you know, it, it, it might be other things that are coming up. It might be time management. It might be you know, feeling overwhelmed. There might be experiences that they've had in the past with the particular subject that they feel like they might not be good at. Um, and, and we begin to unfold that, right, within the conversation, you know, which we're trying to figure out, okay, what what is the root of the challenge? And as we unfold that, you know, their willingness to go through that process, really, that's really what contributes to them to get to a point where they say, okay, you know what, I do have a plan, and I'm going to try this plan out and see if it's going to work out. And for sometimes, it's a journey. So, Different things that they're trying might not might not work, 
But most of the time, as long as they're in tune with themselves, they actually find the root of where the challenge is. And then they can identify, you know what, maybe I need to spend a little bit more time with these resources. Or maybe I need to reach out to someone, um, you know, that that might have the expertise around this subject in order for me to understand it a little bit better. Um, Yep. So then I just want to get just a little bit more detailed. You know, how long... Are these conversations, are there lots of short conversations? Are there some really long, deep conversations? And, and, and just how do you encourage, if I'm the student, how do you, and I'm, you know, I'm struggling. I know this math is too hard for me. I'm really, I'm, I'm really, I can't do this. Um, can I go to another project? Or, you know, if I'm saying stuff like that, how, how, how do you encourage me to really reveal myself? Yeah. So uh, like what I was saying earlier, so within the first couple of weeks, when we first connect with the students, we're trying to build that relationship, which sets a platform for them to be to be open as they're experiencing, you know, the challenges and even the success. So usually we connect with the student on a weekly basis at first when they first start. And then over time, you know, the communication changes, but sometimes through emails. But the students that need a little bit more touch point, most of the time it's happening through phone calls. So, you know, they're scheduled a phone call with the coach. The coach is aware of where the student is with their their, their learning process, but also um, other things, you know, so like values, mindset, the things that are, you know, affecting them. And then when 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 we get on the phone call, it's a both way thing. So it's not just the coach. It's not really the coach's agenda. It's really the student's agenda of what's happening. And then throughout the conversation, because they have a willingness to to go through the process, you know, because they, they want to accomplish the goal and master. How long is this conversation, though, typically? Usually the conversation anywhere from 20 minutes, 30 minutes, um, 40 minutes. It varies. It var- the conversation varies. Yep. But th- OK, but it's not five minutes. OK, that's great. So it's, you're it's, really <laughs> <laughs> it's not a f- <laughs> it's not a five minute conversation. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit longer than that, because the other piece of it is there's there's a direct connection to the conversation. Right. So the students, they, they, they know that going through the process, it, it's going to help them identify the root of the challenge. So it's not just a conversation that's going, you know, all over the place. It's a targeted conversation around a, a one particular thing. All right. So if I can, you know, both Yvonne and, and Deo, if I'm really understanding this, going back to my sort of three learning rationales, remedial credentialing and new skills, it seems if I need remedial, I'm going to be encouraged and should look for those uh, resources that are going to boost my skills. Mm-hmm. If there's something that I'm really good at, then the programs almost becomes cre- uh, credentialing because I'm going to quickly master a project. I might be even encouraged to go for a purple project because I can handle that. And then there's these new skills where I need to do something that I've never done before. And then I'm going to get some coaching around that. And I'm, again, might be encouraged to take one of the blue projects and, and sort of take smaller bites and, and really get into that. Right. Am, yep. Yeah, and I think there's also something you mentioned earlier around um, sometimes if a student starts in and maybe they think that their their writing is great, but they've only gotten to a certain place in their writing in high school or they haven't been writing very much, sometimes they, they keep that goal open for a considerable period of time. And they can still go on and make progress in some of the other projects that they do have more experience or more 
readily available skills. So that's another way that we strategize around that. So how many projects can I have open at once and how do how do I pick and choose? Yeah. So we start everybody with one um, project, which is um, plan for success. Um, so people have some early wins, they get their feet under them, and they sort of have a sense of how the whole model works. And then it's up to the coach. And based on some of the conversations Dea was just describing, um, the student decides, okay, do I want one goal at a time? Because that's just going to keep me focused and keep me moving along. Or am I more of an explorer and I want to see the next three and really be able to to check it out, figure out which ones I'm going to like. You know, that we really have, we thought that most students would be like that, but we we see it's about 50-50 anecdotally. You know, so some students really just say, I just want the next one, I just want the next one. And some really, really find it a big feature of the program to be able to open up more goals and explore a little bit more and, and kind of plan it out for themselves. And kind of work their way up. Uh, yeah, kind of yeah. like rock climbing, going from side to side <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to see all the different patterns that we have. I mean, that's when you know learning should be personal. It is personal, and when you see we have these competency mastery profiles, and they're it's like every student's path is unique, and you know it just shows that if you can allow for that flexibility. Um, you just have many more students who are able to move through. There's a program in New York in math where students are given five or six learning modalities from a large classroom to online to one-on-one and small groups, and they really track how they're doing. And as long as they're improving, they stay in that path. And when they falter, they try a different modality. And also, again, thinking about universal design and so forth. Are are there ways that that's architected in? Yeah. You know, we're, Dale and I actually are working on what I would call our second modality. I think the the JUICE grant we mentioned before is working on a another layer of resources and then sort of more intensity and more support around critical skills. Um, we're working on another modality in terms of structure and student guidance. We've had a few pilots to date. We're starting another one soon. And it's basically, you know, seeing how students are doing that first term. And if they're not getting momentum, you know, we look at it as, you know, first the students have to connect. They have to be willing to have those phone calls, engaging, um, going through those initial projects, getting those not yet. And then if they still don't start joining the community is a big piece and they still don't kind of get um, some kind of structure habit going, um, we think that this next program would really be We've seen some good results with that. I'll let Dale talk a little bit about what it, what it looks like. Please do, Dale. Yeah, so the, the whole concept is that, you know, the students are in the program because they, they want to achieve, you know, a goal. You know, they, they want to get their college degree. Um, and we, we've identified that there are certain students that there's still there's still a little bit more touch point that they need in order for them to. The one thing that we, we talk about in our end is really helping the students take ownership of what success looks like in this program. What we want to do is we want to create a structure that that uh, that becomes a little bit more intentional around the steps that they take. And as they build that momentum, hopefully they can you know pick up a pace that works for them. And, you know, one of the things that we didn't discuss earlier, we have a kudos system, which is a, a point system. And, you know, at its very basic level, you could look at it as participation points, but actually the points 
are given for different steps in the learning process. So as Dave was mentioning, they they may not have a learning process. And so it might be breaking that down a little bit more for them. So when you're getting stuck, where do you go? Do you know how to ask those questions? Do you know how to really listen to a video? Do you know how to take notes? Do you know how to um, feed that back? How do you keep it alive for you? How do you keep it interesting? How do you keep it relevant? So we kind of go a level, level deeper and kind of breaking that process down for them and helping doing a it's like a little investigation. Where are they getting stuck? <laughs> um, and and very much still though, the, the key is is letting them drive drive it and getting them curious about their own process. We have a survey that students do weekly, and right now it has a snappy name called the Weekly Learning Activity Survey. But the whole point is to get students to reflect on what they are actually doing. And it's okay to write, I didn't get to it this week, because that gives the coach a good place to intersect and say, well, what happened? You know, you, you wanted to, I, I saw you were excited about doing this, it didn't happen. Let's let's dig a little deeper and figure out what happened. I just want to make sure I've got a complete picture here. So we've, we've got our coaches, we've got ambassadors, we have reviewers, Mm-hmm. Obviously, on the academic side, someone's designing all of these. We have right. our blue projects, our purple projects, and we have these kudo points, which I assume I, I earn some points as I'm unstumbling and sort of yep. advancing towards things. So it's a little bit of a, a reward to get me to the next achievement. Yep. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about? Yeah, so ju- I, we touched on this one a little bit, but just another key component is the rubric. So each project has a rubric and the rubric is um, binary, unlike some, you know, that might have a five point scale. So for each criterion, the student is getting either a yes, I've mastered or a not yet. Okay. So not pass fail. It's not yet or master, which I love because we're saying you, you, you can't be average at this. You really have to achieve this. Right. Yeah. And then I I would say is one of the hallmarks of our program. And that really takes it out of the grading schema, which I am certainly in favor of. So, So then some more questions around personalization. We've talked a lot that there's room for personalization. There's 120 competencies, 40 projects, roughly, depending on which ones I take. What's, where's the personalization? I know there's a little bit about the order that I take, but obviously I, I assume the nature of the project, what I'm actually doing as my, you know, for my project, what I write about or draw or math, whatever the skills are, I can design that to be based on something I'm doing at work or a hobby. That is, I think, uh, a future state and a goal for us. I think that would be the ultimate. Right now, the projects do have fairly prescriptive deliverables with some room, of course. So the marketing group team project that we talked about earlier, they do get to come up with their own marketing plan. So there are definitely plenty of projects where students have opportunity to customize it to their specific interests. Um, but not everyone. Th- that's fine. And then I, I wanted yeah. to ask sort of tangential to that because I'm coming in through my employer. Is my setup to some degree specialized or mm. adjusted for my employer's needs? Yeah. So that does intersect with the employer's tuition assistance plan. So employers that do provide tuition assistance may have certain requirements that are specific to their their plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I do think, and as we get more partners with more students and we have more data to really look at these things, 
we are finding and we do know that those contexts, if you will, those employer contexts do make a difference. So how how much the employer is supporting anything from the tuition assistance to how much they connect with their students on their progress and say, hey, you know, you, I know you're in College for America. How's it going? And how much um, they give them opportunity. We have had students, which to me, this is the ultimate, is when students will learn something in College for America and realize that they can solve a problem in their workplace mm. by using some, sometimes they've even used the exact project that they've done for CFA and they've just asked their supervisor, can I can I show you this? Because I think it would really help our organization. So we've seen some of that to date and that's something we're really, really interested in seeing because then you've got it connecting all across the board, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that piece is something we're really interested in developing even further further. All right. So, um, and I, then, just, oh, I was just going to say, yeah, in terms of personalization, one thing that's really interesting is that, you know, this balance between schedule and due date and all those kinds of things. So students set their own due dates. Fantastic. And, you know, yeah. And, and at the same time, what we found, so one of the structures, Dan, I was just saying that some of our students need more structure. They've kind of asked us to set the due dates for them. I mean, nothing happens if they don't make it, but some students really do need a little more structure, whereas some students are just completely excited that they can set their own due dates and figure that out according to their own schedules. Well, again, but that's, to me, that's something I, I guess I want to harp on is that when you're asking me to set my own due dates, you're forcing me to internalize the learning process. Right. And, th- and, and I might start to think I'm going to make this really easy for myself, but at the end of the day, I have to think about my own learning model. Yep. Yeah, that's what we say. We say plan, plan to adjust, you know, <laughs> and and just like what works, because like you said, sometimes you think, oh, this is this is going to make it easy for me. But in the end, maybe it doesn't. And then, OK, so what's going to work better? So day, a good way that coaches sometimes help students with that is some coaches will, you know, send out reminders or sometimes a student will ask to meet with a coach weekly because it, they know that they, they feel accountable, not mm-hmm. only to themselves, but to the coach. And that just helps them get going. Ultimately, we want the coach to step back and the student to own that. But some things like that do help as, as students progress in that. Do I set my own graduation date as well? <laughs> yes, you do. Dale, why don't you take that one? Yeah, essentially, they, <laughs> um, within the framework of the program, they're setting up their own graduation. So that, that's one of the conversations that we have in the beginning when they first start is, you know, when, when would you want to complete this program? A lot of the students, you know, they have different ideas and when <laughs> they want to complete it. And then sometimes there's this thing, there's this question when we ask them, you know, picture yourself at graduation day. Uh, who, do, who do you want to be there with you? Um, and then, you know, they name different people and 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 the follow-up is you know how do you want those people to to support you along the way so you can achieve the goal so it's it's very it's very awesome for a lot of the students because they know that at any time even if they feel like you know they lost their momentum or they're not going on a faster pace they can always pick up their pace and say you know okay i have to do this i have to do that in order for me to to complete it by this time so that's that's the piece that a lot of the students enjoy and love so much because they know that they're in charge of this learning process and depending on the effort that they put, you know, they can either complete it at this time or, you know, or at that time. And, you know, I just have to say, because this uh, touches on one of the, uh, the pieces of the program we probably haven't mentioned specifically yet. But so sometimes a student will say, oh, I've, I've seen that there are students who complete in a year. I'm going to complete in a year. And then a little while and they notice that it's not going to be a year for them. And then sometimes that 
makes them feel inadequate or insufficient. I'm so, sorry. Can you hang on just a second? Yeah. I'm sorry. You have a, have a friend visiting you? Sorry about that. My, my dog has one trick, which is when I podcast, she likes to bark. <laughs> it's one of the perils, perils of working from home, right? Indeed. <laughs> so... And, you know, that's really where the coach can really step back in and hold um, the student success. And so, you know, we we always continue to see the students as creative, resourceful and whole. And that even though they've stumbled and maybe this is, they're not on the pace they wanted to be, that, that they will find that pace and that pace will be the right one for them. And then to me, if they come out of that as saying, well, I'm going to just keep learning and that yes. I know that I'll get there. And it's amazing how many of our AA students have gone on to the BA or at least have that intention to do that. And now they become a, it's an overused phrase, but they become that lifelong learner, which is really what we hope for all of our students. All right. So asking you, asking you, Yvonne, to, to maybe speculate here, mm. but we can imagine that a student who's motivated to get a degree is probably a better employee because they're motivated, right? And, but do you have any sense of a hypothesis that there may be some benefit to the employers from someone who's come through the competency-based education over a student who may have been traditionally educated? I, I think, you know, from the, you know, going back to the how we're building the programs, we are really, we're partnering with students and we're partnering with employers. So right from the beginning, we have a degree of confidence that our programs are really aligned to employer competencies, the competencies they they need and are looking for to develop their workforce. So right from the, the setup and the architecture, if you will, we have that built in. The other part is that I think as with school, it extends to the work environment as well. I may want to be a contributing employee, but I may not know how. And just we find with our students, they want to be good students, but they just don't know how. So I think as we work with students, they become more confident. And part of that is when you move it over into the workspace, they have the confidence to go to their supervisor and say, I have a suggestion. I have something that might make things better. And that's what we want. We want engaged students. We want engaged employees. We want engaged citizens. And there is something about developing the voice and yep. the student's own ownership of the program and their learning that that seems to be co contributing to that. So, yes, speculation, but I would love to be able to say in five years to say that this program is helping to develop students who, who go on and make more contribution in the workplace and in, the, in their communities. So I certainly think that a traditional education often is very much a game. You do these three things, you get out, go to the mm -hmm. next level where a competency-based education can be much more goal-oriented and involve much more, you know, learning about learning and, and, and really trying to achieve something. And then so somebody who has a project at work from the traditional approach might just see, well, okay, I got to get the project done, where right. somebody coming out of competency may be far more oriented to actually make it successful, not just hand in some work product. Right. But and I think we're kind of on the hook for that from an outcomes perspective, because many of the students who decided not to pursue education further than they did because they didn't find it relevant. So I think it's up to us to make sure that the competencies are relevant, the projects are relevant, and they can really understand how this is going to benefit them every step of the way, not just if I get here, if I get the degree. So another speculation, looking at the very broad world, all kinds of industries, all kinds of professionals, and folks, no matter you know what level of education and, and what kind of education, there's this dynamic model. You can kind of talked about it as lifelong learning, but basically learning outcomes evolve over time. 
and professionals need continuing education either for their own self need or literally to maintain a certification or a credential. Would you agree, disagree that competency-based education could be sort of the gold standard for that kind of professional continuing education? Absolutely. And I think I'll add an and to that if it's if it's set up correctly. So one of the things that we've done, we mentioned earlier that we partner with employers, we partner with our students, and we've also set up a system to be dynamic so that we are getting student feedback, we're getting employer feedback, and the hope, the promise is that we can continue to deliver projects, programs based on the evolving needs. Are you polling, surveying the supervisors? Are you coaching them? I mean, is there, yeah. how deep does this go? Yeah, we definitely do that. And it, it depends on the relationship with the particular organization. That's not true in, in all of these relationships, but with some of them, definitely we're working very closely with them. That That's fantastic. We know in, in general in work, if you have a good supervisor, that's the most important factor in your feeling good about your job far more than money or any anything else. So helping right. to create better supervisors, better managers will certainly help these students as well. Absolutely. So then obviously I, I think you need, um, you know, a competency based uh, GED or something to, to feed this program. But mm. uh, I, I wanted I wanted to come back to Deo and just whatever kind of antidotes you could give us in terms of some students who have really had some success and how this has really benefited their lives or and even maybe, you know, someone who's decided to drop out of this, the program for a little while be, for whatever reason, but they've made a really kind of informed opinion. They, it's not a, a just a reaction to a difficulty. Yeah, I, th- I think the fascinating part of that is that kind of happens all the time with, with the students that I've been coaching because because in the level that we work with them. And um, I mean, I've, I've had students that that that, you know, just didn't even know where to open up, you know, a folder that they saved. And over time, as they built those skills, they begin to realize, oh, wow, like I, I actually I'm, I'm capable of doing this. And then the portfolio. Yeah, the portfolio. Yep. And then as, as they build up their momentum. They, they begin to realize what they actually have to offer, not just from CFA, but just as a whole, because they've been so used to just doing things just for the sake of doing it because people have told them or it's a requirement. And then as they begin to reflect on why they're actually doing it, they begin to identify some of the skills that they've always had. And that acknowledgement and that realization for them, it's like it's almost like that aha moment for them, like, oh, wow, I can actually do this. And how that transforms, it's, it's, it's amazing. I've, I've had a student that's actually, he's going, I think he probably just graduated today, but he went through a very interesting process. Um, he started very strong and all of a sudden he, his pace started slowing down and I kept asking him, you know, what's going on? And one time we got on the phone, he realized that he needs to put time aside to actually render the information that he learns before putting together um, his deliverables. So uh-huh. that that realization to him was huge. He was like, wow, you know, I, I need, you know, I never even I never even thought that that's what I needed. And then he applied that method to his project and boom, he started, you know, he started moving along and, and cruising along. And then 
couple of months later, something else came up where he, 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 he encountered a challenge and, and that was a personal challenge for him. So he had to kind of overcome those challenges in order to move forward. And then he realized that, wow, everything that I've built from where I started to where I am now has contributed to the success that I have. And now he's, he's about to complete his, his AA degree. So, I mean, those kind of stuff happens all the time in the level that we work with our students. And the most rewarding part is to, to see the realization and also to see how they can incorporate that with everything else that they're doing. And Yvonne, similar kind of, you know, from you, I'm assuming you, you've had or have some contact with the employers or the, the, the management structure within each of those, some of those employers. Are there any anecdotes as well from what they're seeing? Yeah, I think we're still at the stage where we, we get more of the one-off stories, you know, that I was mentioning earlier, where they're seeing basically employees come to life even. I mean, that's, you know, you know, sometimes it's they make a presentation, they contribute to, um, you know, a, a hospital policy change was one of my favorites, you know, that, um, you know, you just can't, these folks, before they started, I don't think they even imagined that they had a voice. And then I think the fact that they're involved in the organization, this one woman said she used to, she worked in a call center and she said she used to just think it, her office was just a bunch of desks and cubes and chairs and um, now she sees the org- organization as a whole and she understands what she's part of. So we have many, many of these stories. And I think our biggest challenge is trying to figure out how to how to call them and how to curate them and how to make sense of them. But any student who's been in the program has had some kind of transformation and it always ripples back to the people in their in their learning network. And if the employer is part of that, it will definitely have an impact on the employer. Well, I would certainly argue that you need some sort of, you know, cultural anthropology, some kind of oral yes. history um, to, to kind of capture these. And uh, whether it's something that goes on YouTube or a podcast or a collage or whatever it is. But if you can capture these and encourage students to come back years after they've graduated with these stories and and build up this sort of mosaic of success, I think it will encourage students to not only keep on learning, but in our modern interconnected internet world, they will also serve (laughs) sort of as a beacon um, to direct people towards the program because they want to share in that success. Yeah, I love that. And I, uh, I'm going to make somebody very happy. There's one of our teammates. He actually is the, the, um, team member who works on the community piece. And this is, he actually has a background in anthropology and, and that's his dream to get this program, um, visualized in that way and to tell that story. And I love the way you said that, you know, it would become a beacon for other students too. I think that's, that's so right on. We just know in the modern workplace, right, that what we do has to do its job, but it also has to communicate with others. And that applies to your students, but it also applies to you and all of the team there, right? That, that the way that, so anyway, I I think it's, it's fantastic. You know, Southern New Hampshire University has always innovated since its founding days, uh, teaching, uh, women at a time when many women weren't educated, um, teaching specific skills for particular employers needs. And I mean, that goes back to 32 or 33 and then innovating in terms of course delivery, um, through, uh, through the Vietnam War and, and finding out all kinds of very innovative ways, innovative ways to 
deliver material to people who were rotating through different bases and all of that, um, finding ways to work within the GI Bill. And then, and then we come to College for America, which I think is uh, ha- clearly has the potential to not only help people credential themselves, but it seems, you know, what I was hoping to learn today was that it wasn't just 120 tests that you have to take, that there really is some really modern uh, learning approaches. And, and it's clear that it's doing that. So you certainly have my uh, kudos. And again, I, I want to thank both of you for joining in. And as a sort of a final question, I often ask you know, each of you, we can start with Deo. Um, is there any question that I didn't ask that, or a comment that you'd like to make that you haven't had the opportunity to make? And if you want to let people know where to find you on the internet as well. No, uh, uh, thank you for, for, for having me on your, um, your podcast and, and your interview. And I, I appreciate all, all the questions that you had and, and your interest around the work that we're doing here. Thanks. Is, is there some place you people can find you or any, any other thing you'd like to say, Deo? Yeah, we're at collegeforamerica.org. Um, that's our, our central website. And um, I think that you'll find some of the bios up there as well. I think my, my bio's up there, so you can find me from that website as well. And yeah, thanks very much for having us today. It's a pleasure to have these conversations with like-minded folks. Um, I wish I could think of one final question, but I think I would just say that it's it's about getting the interest of what we really can do. And I so I really appreciate you highlighting the potential of this work and what it could really do to transform individual lives, communities and employers. And really just thank you for for understanding and sharing it out. My pleasure. And again, thank you so much for taking all this time out of your schedules. And uh, well, we're going to end it here. This is Harry Hawk. I appreciate you listening and I would love to hear from you. You can talk to me on Twitter at HHAWK. Let me know what you thought about this. You can find uh, more information uh, or get in touch with me through my website. That's hawksocialmarketing.com or you can find this podcast and many other conversations and discussions about almost everything at talkingabouteverything.com. Once again, Yvonne and Deo, thank you for joining me. This is Harry Hawk saying bye-bye. My name is Chuck Fresh, and I am being paid to thank you for listening to Talking About Everything with Harry Hawk. Harry wants to hear from you on Twitter at hhawk or harryhawk at gmail.com. And now, a word from our sponsor, Life Extension Coach and favorite chef. Hawk Digital Marketing is focused on bringing brands and people together. We build communities of interest based on trust and transparency where consumers and brands can converse, learn, discuss, or solve problems together while creating a long-term connection, entanglement between you and your customers. Once connected, we help you engage, communicate, sell, present, educate, and inform. Evolve your communications with us. HawkSocialMarketing.com